So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be looking in-depth at the playoff pictures and where all the uh, potential matchups are going to be come uh, January. Then we're also going to have a quick look at the sadness that is the San Diego Superchargers. Then we're obviously going to look at some of the games from last week. We're going to take a couple of the questions from you, the listener, and then we're going to look forward to next week's games. So hey guys, uh, it's Connor here. Uh, we've got Harry. Hello. And I've got Roland. Hi, hi. We're up live in the All Four Quarters loft, uh, also known as the spare room in my house, where I've now put a microphone. And yeah, we're here to talk a bit of football. How's yourselves, lads? Any crack? Yeah, it's been a hell of a weekend. I spent four and a half hours with the, uh, the electrician who finally finally fixed my kitchen, so grateful, but I wish I hadn't taken four and a half hours of my day. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, Fitz? Yeah, up here in Dublin live. Uh for the second time in three weeks uh, on the halfway mark between here from Cork to Cavan it's an epic journey of many delays and much depression uh, but you know familial obligations must be met oh god but yeah it's a fun time fun times uh, <laughs> yeah so we had good fun on the weekend just went out a few times uh, watched a load of the games some of them good some of them Ugh. we'll talk about those ones later but I suppose the big the big thing now it's all kind of coming in and crystallising a little bit more now is the playoff picture so we're going to have a bit of a chat about this kind of what the potential matchups are going to be and then maybe even towards the back end look at where we think people are going to be knocked out of the uh, the progressions from it so I suppose we'll kick off with the AFC so so far at the moment the Pats have the number one seed uh, at 12 and 2 followed by the Bengals at 11 and 3 Broncos at 10 and 4 and the Texans at 7 and 7 one of these things is not like the other um, <laughs> And then in the fifth seed currently we have the Kansas City Chiefs at nine and five. In the sixth seed we have the Steelers at nine and five. And in the seventh seed we have the Jets at nine and five. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of scrapping to go on for the uh, for the tail end of these kind of pieces. Do we see much kind of up for change uh, in 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 this picture? Like where do we reckon people are going to finish up? There's a lot that could change even over this short period of time. Is it going to? I don't know. I think we're sort of. Looking at, I think we've been looking at for a few weeks, with the exception of the AFC South, kind of where we're going to be shaking out over the last few weeks. There are now interesting questions, of course, with the uh, the Bengals obviously losing Andy Dalton and whether or not AJ McCarron can guide them through a uh, what's well, going to be a tough game next week, but one that probably won't end up affecting whether or not they get the uh, they get into the playoffs. That so could affect the seeding and could affect whether or not they end up getting a first round bye. The big question now is about the Denver Broncos whose form has been not great. Uh, we saw uh, this week, and we'll talk about this a bit more later, but we saw them obviously start the game quite well and then finish extremely badly, drop a game. Uh, and they're now in a position where your boys could end up, yeah. uh, end up taking them out very, yeah. very easily. If Denver lose next week and the Chiefs win next week, the Chiefs jump them uh, and take over the uh, third seed in the AFC. And uh, more importantly, uh, if, the, if that is to occur and the Steelers are to win out, the Broncos will be removed from the playoffs this year. They wouldn't make it because they'd lose on all the tiebreakers. Which, well, uh, the Jets too, of course. The Jets too as well. Don't yes. forget the don't Jets. Forget. <laughs> we have to rely on the Jets to win out, which is just not really going to happen, I don't think. Well, what do you reckon? Like, what, do you think the Jets can do anything against your boys? They are in the hunt for the, for the fifth and sixth spot. Here. Yeah, it seems like, I think I don't know if the Jets are going to be able to. I think it depends on what sort of attitude New England go into the game with, and whether or not we're trying to protect our now uh, absolutely decimated team to the point where we've signed Stephen Jackson, which is superstar, new running block, fresh, uh, fresh back, fresh set of legs. You know, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. No, no tread on those tires, uh, <laughs> and it's been worn down to a smooth nub. Does this does this mean <laughs> that his like his art projects and stuff he were doing just hasn't really taken off for him? I know he took up painting. It's maybe made a deal with Belichick and now it's just a painting of Stephen Jackson in the attic that gets older while he's found his youth again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
kind of Faustian bargain. But it's interesting one, because I suppose the Patriots-Jets game now takes on a significance beyond just, obviously, the, the rivalry, but also beyond oh, how this could affect the Jets trying mm. to stay in the playoffs. This is now a case of, well, New England are going to be fine, because obviously they do want to get that home field the whole way through, and the Jets want to keep their playoff hopes alive. But now it's become interesting for other teams, because if the Broncos lose that game, as you said, it might not matter what happens in their easy game against the Chargers, and a huge amount could then come down to their much tougher matchup uh, coming up this week against Cincinnati. Like it's, it is an interesting one. Like, what about yourself? It's like, do you do you think there's going to be a huge amount of change to this, or are we kind of relatively happy to say we know five of these six? Well, it's always tempting to write off the Jets because historically they're the Jets. <laughs> I think they're generally considered to be in the top five of the saddest, you know, teams, especially yeah. based on like recent uh, travails, butt fumbles, etc. Mm. But these aren't your your father's Jets. These are a new Jets under a new. A new coaching staff who I have professed to be like very good. Todd Bowles, obviously, is like a very promising uh, young coach and has brought the Jets through what has been a difficult transition period with a quarterback who Benny would have considered written off or as you know backup material, but he's playing very well. I think like like Ryan Fitzpatrick's you know renaissance this season is one of those kind of uh, stories which has kind of gone to the radar. So I think next week. Against the Pats, I think they have every chance, especially considering that the Pats are suffering all these injuries and they are suffering a lot from this. To be honest, even if they lose, they're probably going to get get a bye for the first week in the playoffs. It isn't really as vital for them. These Jets, you shouldn't write them off, and I think that I think and if they win, then that throws everything up there. Especially if the Broncos lose to Cincinnati. Yeah, because I suppose that's that's a thing as well. Like from the Pats' perspective, with the game being between the second and third seed this week, either say the Pats lose, the Bengals win, they're then tied on record. It comes out of their head to heads, but they all they both get first round buys. If the Broncos win, the Broncos aren't aren't at the level to then catch them, uh, so they get to maintain their first seed position in that scenario. So it is a game where because their two main rivals are playing each other, they've got an additional buffer zone. Yeah, well, I think there there is still a factor. Of um, you're still the fact of trying to get the number one seed just so you have home field locked up regardless of what happens and you're not hoping somebody else loses to get that for you in the championship round which is, is the sort of thing that New England being the incredibly detailed uh, do whatever we can to get any kind of advantage possible team that they are oh, of course uh, will still be a factor and then of course it being the big rivalry game will, will also have an impact although yeah the injuries are I think we lost on to Hightower again yeah. uh, last week as well as Amendola it's one to certainly for the coaching staff to weigh up, but given how Belichick has acted in the past, I don't see us. I think he would prefer to play hard and win this game and then rest guys in the final week. Yeah, of course, of course. Now, the interesting one from my perspective on this one is obviously at the moment there was a, there was a question asked online and I, I thought about it and was like, actually, it's a hard one to answer whether I'd rather end up with the fifth seed, not get a home playoff game, but get to play the Texans or the Colts versus getting a home field and then having to play like the Steelers or Jets or something. What would be interesting there would be if it was the Jets, I wouldn't mind playing the Jets so much and get a home field game against them. I'd think at the moment I'm relatively happy with the with the fifth seed for the Chiefs getting to play whatever comes out of that AFC South I realistically don't see the scenario of the Broncos losing and everyone else winning out to kick them out of the playoffs and to be honest that's the only real thing that I'd like to see out of it I'd love to see them fall out of the playoffs it would be hilarious we'll come back to the AFC uh, shortly then after we have a look at the NFC and we'll have a look at where those matchups would go and how we think the games would play out so in the NFC uh, we've got a slightly more clean cut uh, scenario but again one of these is not like the other Uh, Panthers at 14-0 hold the one Cardinals have the two seed at 12-2 Green Bay in three at 10 
and four, and then the Washington Pale Faces at seven and seven hold the fourth overall seed. And at the moment, coming in, we have Seattle uh, in the five seed at nine and five, and we got the Vikings in the six seed at nine and five. I suppose the only real controversy in that league is I don't think we we expect the Falcons to do anything or anything. I think it's just this cluster that is the AFC or the NFC West. NFC East, just NFC East. So bad for what they're called. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the six and eight Giants and the six and eight Eagles chasing the seven and seven Washington team. Washington clinch the number four spot if they win this week. Like, do we see much happening in this? I don't see anything really happening on the wild cards in this. I think that's kind of locked down. Yeah. Yeah, like basically, like Atlanta have an outside chance to overtake the Vikings, but the probability of that happening is so low that we can effectively ignore it. Like they managed to win against Jacksonville, but that was Jacksonville looking like they were nearly going to get back in the playoff picture. So obviously, yeah. inevitably, they were going to lose. I don't think we should read anything into that. And just yeah, like and the Vikings and the Seahawks aren't going to lose out at this point. Yeah, like the Falcons need to beat the Panthers to get back into the playoffs. Exactly, that's, that's probably the most important thing yeah. in terms of the the rest of it. Like really. The, like obviously we'll talk about the NFCs a bit more, but like the one kind of subplot, and obviously the one I'd be most interested in, or like have an interest in, is obviously that race for the fifth seed, race to fight the NFC East yeah. opponent. Uh, obviously Seahawks, Vikings both on the same record right now, I believe. Like right now Seahawks have the advantage because they have the uh, tiebreaker over the Vikings due to that win a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So you would expect them to have that, especially playing the Rams this week. You expect that to be a W, although Rams. We'll obviously talk about the NFC more in more detail, but like that's probably the only real plot of significance considering those two game gaps for those top three teams means we're not likely to see any mix, like mixing up uh, for those buys yeah. and Green Bay uh, getting in that race. Yeah, there's like there's there's also it's not a huge amount of cross contamination really for the for the teams at the top that they can essentially get a double jump of a win in one column and a loss in another. So. Yeah, it's not really a it's not really a scenario we see a huge amount of change there. The only one obviously and I suppose is the one we should focus on here is that terrible, terrible uh East Division. Washington currently hold it. If they beat Philadelphia this weekend, they will then clinch it. If they don't, it gets messy, Harry. Yeah, it gets super messy. Like and we're gonna obviously discuss later our opinions about what we think is gonna happen on the in that game. Spoiler <laughs> alert, we don't all agree. Yeah, Washington sort of put themselves in pole position, or rather the other teams have derped hard enough to put themselves in pole position and Unfortunately, the Giants uh, this week tried tried their damnedest, but uh, fell behind. It's an interesting one because obviously the the, Phil- the the Zane division game between Philadelphia and uh, and Washington. So that's critical. Because you expect, but then you expect the next week Washington are probably going to be able to beat a completely leaderless, quarterbackless, and demoralized Dallas team in Week 17. Although, again, this being the NFC East, who knows what's going to happen. But you're also you're looking at a situation where for the Giants they've got a potentially quite difficult game against the Vikings that could be quite close. Don't we know how that one's going to go? But then uh, have to play the Eagles in the final week. So if Washington lose, we're going to be in a situation where we're going to have to wait another week to find out what's going on. And the problem is in the NFC East. I'm not comfortable predicting the outcome of what's going to happen two weeks down the line in that division. Yeah. Because those teams playing each other, who knows? Like you know, you could be literally looking at a situation where Washington go out and lose both their games. And then it just become, could potentially come down to who wins between the Giants and the Eagles. So it's 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 really impossible to know. I think Washington do have the edge and should, I think, be able to tie this up one way or the other. It's still a mess. Oh yeah, massively so, massively so. So I suppose what we can do is uh, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll run each of us through a very quick uh, playoff simulator now. So are we are we happy to go with as is in the AFC, or do you want to stick the Jets in there instead, or anything, or? Happy with the five sixes is. I think as is is the most likely scenario. Yeah, and you same. 
Yeah. Yeah, perfect. So we'll roll with that. Okay, so uh, in the wildcard round, we have the Chiefs taking on the Texans slash the Colts. Uh, I have the Chiefs winning that game. Yeah, I think that's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> that reasonable. reasonable. Uh, and we've got the Steelers taking on the Broncos. Oh, I think we might have seen relatively recently what happens there. Uh, you have to give the edge to the Steelers in that yeah, game. Yeah, I give the edge to the Steelers yeah. in that game as well. That thing brings us to uh, the Steelers taking on the Pats. What do we make of that game? I suppose it's very dependent on how, how battered and how many people are back, I suppose. It, it really yeah. does. It depends on what New England Patriots team turn up like physically what personnel are there yeah. I think and I know I'm a Pittsburgh fan but I think at full strength we can beat this Pittsburgh team because the Pittsburgh's problems in the secondary yeah they're um, brutal like it's just if, it's like, they have an incredible offense but they just got a non-existent defense think, but, but if New England go into that game where we don't have the key pieces back and we're missing our linebacking core we're missing our wide receivers Pittsburgh will win but I'm going to say on the basis of presuming New England get all the bits back that they can we will win that game uh, what about yourself Ron? In this hypothetical game, yeah, I would probably yeah just shade it to the Pats, but yeah, it would be a good game. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, I think very good. So the thing, the thing that I'm thinking about is like I would probably generally edge slightly on the side of the Steelers in that, but given that the game beforehand they'd be playing that kind of very aggressive Broncos defense, I think they're going to be tired and a bit more beaten up, uh, and I think that would be what would play a factor in that. So I think I'd probably side you guys and say the Pats take that one. Chiefs take on the Bengals. Uh, so it depends on who's quarterbacking them. I'd take the Chiefs against the Bengals right now. I'd probably take the Chiefs as well. Like that defense is really just getting up in the speed, and I think like like that's exactly the kind of game that Cincinnati has uh, historically had troubles with in the playoffs. <laughs> Please don't say that we're the new Houston Texans. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's different. It's very different. Like there's two scenarios here, obviously, which are Andy Daltonless Bengals and Andy Dalton equipped Bengals. Mm. So Andy Daltonless Bengals, AJ McCarron comes out and isn't good enough to beat that Chiefs defense. Andy Dalton Bengals, Andy Dalton comes out and is good enough to beat the Chiefs defence, but it's a primetime game in the playoffs, so the Chiefs win anyway. And he's coming off a hand injury as well, so I'm not sure even if he's back how powerful he'll be. Okay, which then leads us to... <laughs> who thought this could be? Like if, Six weeks into the season, you go, Chiefs and Pats in the AFC Championship game. <laughs> I'm going to have to give it to the Pats, I think, especially with the home field advantage and everything in that scenario, unless they get beaten, uh, like unless they're kind of sore, hurt, struggling after personnel-wise, I'd have to shade it to the Pats in that scenario. Yeah, I, I'd be inclined to agree. I think Alex Smith has um, a terrifying record against us, but I would think in this scenario, the sort of experience of New England in these big spots and the personnel the team can potentially have would shade it. And I think that would actually be, to be fair, Kansas City-New England championship game would be very, very fun. I think it would be great. Quite right. close, I'd say. Yeah, I think it would be very much strength-on-strength strength kind of competition. It'll be absolutely. Great. I think you're looking at two teams who are, and I obviously the Patriots are extremely well-coaching, but I think you're looking at Andy Reid. Still some wobbles, but is really hitting a stride in terms of where he's going and what he's asking his team to do. Yeah. What about yourself? Yeah. Like, I think I, I would almost put it like a coin flip and maybe even give it to the Chiefs because just they're the form team. They're the team which is getting healthy. Like, a fully, like an on-form, fully fit uh, Kansas City team obviously with the exception of Jamal Charles but they've obviously adjusted really well to that yeah. will make Tom Brady have nightmares that he will like he we know that Tom Brady if you put enough pressure on him can be got to yeah. even in this season where he's supposedly been invincible we've seen that they could do that like don't forget that they beat them last season I know I know. Like, and a pretty it, comprehensive performance I, like, I agree with you in, in terms of I, I think they could beat them but I think like in a championship game the experience, the the fact that it's Tom Brady instead of Alex Smith, like I think it will be close, and I could see us shading it, but I'd have to like 
projecting out, looking at it, I'd have to say that'd be a game that like it'll be close, but I don't think we'd be able to just about shade it. Depends, like if like we said, if there's injuries to personnel or if the defense are just still running in full form for ourselves and just making life a nightmare for them, I could totally see it. But I just say I would I would give it. Not by a huge amount, maybe like sixty forty to the to the Pats. It will also be not only obviously the pressure scenario and things turn experience. It will also invariably be a bitterly cold and windy day, and New England are used to playing in playoff games in that kind of situation. It's something New England are accustomed to, and that can make it. It was even saw when Denver play in cold weather came into came into Foxborough. They play a lot worse in those big games where the conditions are bad. No, but um, but yeah. So we'll say we'll say we're putting the Pats through for the AFC with the Chiefs as a close runner up on that one. Alright, so we'll look at the NFC now. Uh, so we've got, yeah, we've essentially got it as is. We'll stick the pale faces in there for now because yep. they are they are the most likely to be. To That's be. fair. Okay, so what we have is wildcard round. Seattle travel <laughs> travel to take on the racists. Um, yeah, uh, that's going to get ugly. That's going to get real. The ugly. last time that happened, it was ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the last time explodes. Yeah, right. the last time the Seahawks took on the uh, pale faces, a promising quarterback career was ended. Let's see yeah. if Kirk Cousins can join that illustrious Wait, Kirk, lineage. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk Cousins has a promising career. Oh, actually, actually, yeah, actually, yeah. Some people we, say we, so. We will discuss it afterwards, but yeah, because there's also a strong chance that he'll also have just signed quite a sizable extension at the time he's going to play. Um, yeah, I think we're all taking Seattle in that game, and we've got. The Vikings travelling up to Green Bay. That's going to be interesting. That's a little. That's not quite a hard one for me to call because both teams have been just so Jekyll and Hyde at so many points. And I think we're going to. It'll be quite instructive that final game of the season uh, between the two teams as to where they stand because both teams have looked spectacular some weeks and absolute garbage other weeks. Just given what we know, personnel-wise and talent-wise, I think you have to give the edge to Green Bay because their ceiling is still higher. But it's it's I, I say that with a caveat that it's entirely possible that Minnesota could turn up, turn a really good game, and Green Bay could absolutely crap the bed. It is it's a scenario where we've seen like they've obviously they've played them played each other a lot, and it's been very much a depending on what week it is, who's going to be the better of the two teams. They've both shown the ability to play exceptionally well, but also shown the ability to completely shit the bed. Like I'm probably going to go Green Bay, similar to my rationale for for the Pats edging the Chiefs. That they've got more experience in it. It's at home for them. They're used to playing in those conditions. Not, not that the Vikings aren't used to playing in crappy conditions, but like I don't have as much faith in Teddy Bridgewater as because like, I know you yeah. like him a lot more than I do. Uh, He's like, kind of just reached a plateau this season. It's kind of been disappointing. Yeah. For Teddy Watchers, decent game this week. But, yeah, uh, but like that's, that's that's been quite good. Are you taking Green Bay? I take Green Bay yeah. and Lambo. Yeah. So now, so then we move on. We've got Seattle taking on. Oh wow, this would be a great game. Seattle taking on the Panthers. Oh, that'll be a beautiful game to watch. Uh, Hard hitting football. <laughs> they ha- they have played each other pretty much every season for the last three or four seasons, and every single game has been uh, close. Most of those have actually been in Carolina, so it's not like the the Seahawks went in there and they won, and then Carolina obviously came into the clink this season and took them on. Like, the game this season came down to, like, effectively the last play, like a a seam route. Uh, Was it a tight end? Yeah, to Greg Olson. (laughs) Uh, At least Greg Olson is an elite tight end, uh, unlike, you know, Gresham. Obviously, Homer pick, pick Seattle, but obviously it'll be a really tight game. 
that'll be a physical game uh, where it'll go down to the last like last quarter the thing the thing I like a lot about this game is that it breaks a lot of the I don't know I'll hate this term like the narratives that everyone had about these two teams going into it because both Cam Newton and Russell Wilson have been playing out of their skins as quarterbacks for the last like six to eight weeks it's just been phenomenal everyone would have traditionally you'd see that on your schedule last year or the year before and you'd be like this is going to be like a a 13 to 10 slobber knocker <laughs> defensive matchup and then it's like this is probably going to be about 500 yards of offense on both sides even with them both having good defenses the yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, that, no exactly that's exactly it's probably going to be a high scoring game all things considered which yeah again you wouldn't have predicted at the moment I the reason I, I'd be leaning towards Carolina and the reason I'd be leaning towards Carolina is I think you've got a team that I think is going to be carrying in the psychology of unbeaten into this which I think is a big big thing for them uh, they're also going to have a home field which now Carolina don't have perhaps the nastiest place to go and play in the league but I think they're getting a bit more fortress mentality about it particularly this season the big thing is that Seattle better uh, bring no you know rogue signs <laughs> yeah, that's it uh, but at the moment the, the interesting thing is both teams running games we don't know what they're going yeah. to be like going into that we don't know who, who are going to be the starters my main consideration is what Marshawn Lynch looks like for the Seattle team yeah, or if he's even if he's even there. Chrissy Michael looked pretty good this week. What then? What it comes down for for me, and I know this is a little bit subjective, but I think like Cam Newton, amazing as Russell Wilson has been recently, I think Cam Newton has been better. And I think when a situation where the run game is going to be potentially unreliable, it's very close to me to call. But I think Cam's play has elevated to a point where I would take him over Wilson in a shootout. Yeah, at the moment I'm going to side with Harrison as well. I think it's very very close. I think if Marshawn Lynch is playing correctly, I might side with Seattle in that one because I think I think especially when you're talking about the mentality stuff, them rolling in when they do that, but they've also got a week off. They're not as they're not as fresh into it, and I think. Seahawks coming in going underdogs. Woo, woo, woo. This is going to be just like our game against the Saints whenever we what, like won three games and made the playoffs that year. Like, I, I, I could totally see it, but I think it depends entirely on what their run game looks like going into it because a lot of what they'll be able to do against a very good defense is predicated on that. Now, Doug so, Baldwin for 15 touchdowns. Yeah. Oh, God, I love <laughs> Doug Baldwin. 10 touchdowns in four games or something? Yeah, it's like he's got four straight games with over two touchdowns in each game. So it didn't plan on that one. And then we've got Green Bay Cardinals. Uh, I'm going Cardinals. Yeah, Cardinals. They're just a better team at this point. I definitely go Cardinals yeah. as well. Green Bay just they just there's something a little bit off about Green Bay this season, and I don't think it's going to be their year. But obviously, if Aaron Rodgers starts to get into good form, anything could happen. Yeah, it could be. Like I just I think top to bottom, really really good roster. Cardinals are really really strong. I just I just like the Cardinals a whole lot. Like yeah, and that like we saw a really good uh, performance from David Johnson this week. If that run game starts going, then yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it'll be pretty comprehensive. I feel in that case. Yeah, no, of course, of course. So that then gives us it was a game that everyone's kind of been wanting to see as well. Uh, Panthers versus Cardinals, the NFC Championship game. What are our thoughts on that? It's a tough one. It's a tough one to call. Um, I think we've sort of both established over the last chance. All three of us just said the positives about these teams. Coming down to it, I've honestly, and it feels weird saying this. I, I, I think it's going to be Arizona. I think they're going to knock the Panthers off in that game. I just think they've got too many weapons on that offence for a Carolina defence that, as we noticed, and we'll mention this a bit more later when we're discussing it, we noticed this week against the Giants, is missing that slot corner that it had and is looking a little more stretched on the secondary. And when you've got a team that has five or six guys who can beat you, I think that the Cardinals are just going to be able to outscore them again. Carolina's run game, we don't know what it's going to look like, whereas you've got the indication that Arizona's run game could be very, very good coming into it and allowing them to control the game a bit better. I wouldn't write it off. I wouldn't say that's a definitive pick. You can never count out this Panthers team. But at the moment, I would actually give an edge to the Cardinals because I think they have more ways to beat the Panthers than the Panthers have to beat them. Like I would shade it for the Panthers because I think the Cardinals 
have looked good this season. And Carson Palmer has played exceptionally well under pressure, but I think the amount of pressure that Panthers can bring up up front uh, against that offensive line could be enough to swing it in their favour. And because like, like a lot of that receiving talent, like it, it's really good if you have time to let it develop. Like they're very fast, but you still need to have time to develop those type of like those deep shots, which have been Arizona's bread and butter for like putting away teams. And I see like especially with Josh Norman having developed as they have, and like they have a good secondary overall. If they have that pressure up front, I could see Carson Palmer getting hit a lot. And in that case, we might see some of what like we've kind of seen in the past. Like he play, he has played except like really well under pressure. But I think like if you have that elite pressure up front. We could see Carson Palmer finally look uh, mortal, and if that happens, then they don't really have, like I think, enough to take them on. I think like Cam Newton has enough in that run game to take on like a good like um, defensive line from Arizona, but not an elite defensive line. But no, like I, I, I get where you're coming from. I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm similarly kind of stuck a little bit in the middle on this one because something we saw, especially in the game this week, and we'll talk about it later, was just th- what the lack of the running game can do for them trying to control a football game later on in it, and I think it's especially with a team like the Cardinals who can be quite high scoring as well, them being able to play a bit more possession football and stop it being in the hands of that offense is key for them to be able to be successful. And I think without that, without a reliable back to be running the ball and just long seven-minute drives, eight-minute drives just to keep them off the field, I'm not sure if they'd be able to beat it. Like I do think the Panthers are the better team, the better roster, but I'm not sure if this is going to be the scenario in which they'll be able to stop the Cardinals if the Cardinals can effectively run the ball when the Panthers can't. Where are we on John Stewart, by the way? Uh, sprained foot or something, I think, is it? Yeah, it's a foot injury, and the problem with those is you have you often have no way of knowing whether that could be. He could be back next week, he could be gone. Yeah, a lot of question marks there. Yeah, yeah like But obviously, like there's a lot of upside in the Arizona question marks and a lot of downside on the Panthers. Yeah, that's my main concern going into it. I'm going to go with, just because, you know, everyone likes the film, the Expendables, uh, the Cardinals get their way to a Super Bowl. So that gives us the final game. Should we keep this for an entirely separate podcast? Hypothetical. Our first draft of the hypothetical playoff scenario has the Patriots taking on the Cardinals. By a split vote, anyway. But yeah, split vote, but like still, well, yeah. democracy works. Democracy works. <laughs> um, yeah, we're all going to look really, really, really silly in a few weeks' time. But you know, yeah, won't be any different to the mid-season. Chiefs players. Vikings. Prediction. Chiefs Vikings. Excuse me. <laughs> excuse excuse me. Worst Texans Washington. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> Texans Washington. Could you imagine? As Niels Bohr said, prediction is hard, particularly about the future. <laughs> <laughs> so if if we have we have Pat's Cardinals, what do we think? I don't, want any, I don't want any explanation at all. Just give your shit. Cardinals, because my heart says that would be great. And I think Cardinals deserve it. Cardinals. Yep, I'm Pains Cardinals me. as well. Pains me. Cardinals. And then the Pats win. <laughs> bastards. No, it's great. Pats will be leading with about 40 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, some real deep balls get through. <laughs> Flashbacks. But no. Nah, nah, nah. Giants get to the playoffs, knock off the undefeated Carolina Panthers, then beat the Pats in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I, I love actually they just they, they just beat beat the Panthers and then just like since he's lost the next round, like the only thing they're good at is beating undefeated teams. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's uh, I suppose that's just a quick look at kind of where the scenarios lie and stuff at the moment, and a, a little bit of rapid speculations. It's been a while. Uh, <laughs> the next news item we're gonna have a quick look at as well is that uh, it would appear that possibly we have seen the last of the San Diego Superchargers. 
So from uh, reports that we're hearing now, uh, that was the final home game that the Chargers have this year. Obviously there was some poignant images, I suppose, of uh, like the safety line down the 50-yard line after the game. Uh, very emotional uh, press conference from Philip Rivers after the game and stuff. And uh, all accounts seem to be pointing to the fact that uh, <laughs> Chargers are just saying, fuck it, we don't care what you say, we're going to LA anyway. They have had cleaning crews in to remove all the NFL uh, iconography and the Chargers iconography off the pitches and off a lot of the stadium itself as well. So uh, this might be the end of the San Diego Superchargers. What do we make of this, lads? There's a lot of politics here. Uh, the first thing, though, is like they have a special meeting on the 12th and 13th of January where a lot of this is going to come down. Like, obviously... The story for the last year or so is there's been two competing bids. There's basically been a Chargers Raiders joint bid, and there's been a Rams bid, kind of being pushed through by Crunky, who like bought a, a, a pile of land in Inglewood. What's kind of happened over the last month or so is that both groups kind of had a like didn't have enough to push through uh, their plan, but had enough votes to basically veto the other's plan. And what we're kind of seeing right now is a move that uh, Kroenke, like the Rams owner, is willing to basically go into bed with the Chargers owner and that Oakland looks like the most likely to actually put up an offer that's acceptable to the NFL to just stay where they are. Yeah. So we're seeing something really interesting here where basically two bids will kind of merge into a different bid and it looks right now that the two, like the most likely scenario is that the Rams and the Chargers will both be moving to LA but obviously there's a lot of politicking to happen. Uh, it's it's like like the Rams... Like, historically, okay, it's fair enough that like, they only moved uh, about 20 years ago, I believe, now. But, like, the Chargers have been there. They're an AFL team. They've been there historically. That's a historical franchise being moved from San Diego. But they're also, like, they're also year on year the lowest attendance and lowest revenue within the NFL. And, like, bear in mind, there's three teams in Florida. <laughs> That's true. But, like, 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 you know, history does mean, like, this is kind of, this is a really fascinating thing because this is, like, this is a historical franchise that looks like it's going to move on. And, like, for the ten people who watched those uh, scenes described by Connor, it was very sad. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, like, this has been coming for a while. Like, Qualcomm is, like, it's a, it's a busy, it's a relic, and it doesn't look like San Diego is willing to do anything on the city side. Uh, we can talk about the ethics of whether cities should be doing that in some other time, but, yeah, it's looking more and more likely that we'll be seeing those two teams move to L.A. next season. Mm. The one the one that I always think of is, uh, have you ever seen Basketball, the, the film that the guys from South Park yeah. ago, where they talk about, like, oh, all the... All the sports became corporate and they started moving cities like the Tennessee Jazz moved to Utah where they don't allow music you know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the one I loved was they say had a graphic of like, the Oakland Raiders moved to LA eight years later moved back no one realised they had left <laughs> <laughs> but yeah like it is it is a scenario of obviously it's a, it's a whole other discussion we'll probably get into it in the off season about like this thing of people being able to uproot teams just as, as corporations rather than as sports entities does this, especially if it's a combination of teams into a stadium, force the NFL to do look at even a rejig? So I know there's a lot of discussions with the Raiders-Chargers joint bid of rejigging the AFC West so that they wouldn't now be in the same division as well as the same stadium. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a division realignment, to be honest. I think moving the Rams West makes the it's more convenient for everyone else because they're actually now in the west of the country. I, it's not I, the obviously the um, with the Raiders out of the picture, like you say, it doesn't really matter if there's a conflict between yeah. the Rams and the uh, and 
the Chargers, they can definitely work around it. They work around it with the Jets and the Giants schedule-wise, so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be too tricky. It is interesting in terms of not just the history and everything that's been been spoken about, but it is interesting where this is for the team that's sort of been left on the outside looking in, which is the Oakland Raiders, who have as much as Qualcomm might be a relic, like the Coliseum <laughs> literally leaks shit and I don't know if you saw the photos that came out last week they've patched the place Tops. up with yeah with oh. Pepsi cups which is probably a sign that they don't want to be there anymore so it's going to be interesting to see now if they're going to try and move either to a new stadium in the same location or to one nearby somewhere else in the Bay yeah. Area similar to what the Niners did when they moved to, to Santa Clara which was close enough that they could still be still be considered the, not the San Francisco team what about um, the idea of uh, whichever two teams get to uh Get to move, have to stop up some money for repair to the third team stadium. I'd be interested to see how the flight. The owners <laughs> being probably, probably not very well. Uh, like given it's all the money's probably coming from public purses anyway. Yeah, right? well, exactly. The same. I mean, just like Ronan said, uh, the ethics of when what cities pay and the things, way teams of. I suppose the Vikings being the most recent example of sort of put the cities over a barrel by threatening to move the franchise until they get the, until they get the injection funds. But um, it's, it's interesting to see teams go back to LA, obviously in the case of the Rams and move there in the case of San Diego, when LA has historically sort of struggled to support an NFL franchise, and moving to there is a big step. Now the NFL last year actually did a huge amount of market research and sent out all these emails, season ticket holders, these incredibly complex questions about seat pricing, which is just nuts. I can't imagine anyone had the time to fill it in. But they did about like how much would you be willing to pay for an option on this seat, how much would you pay for an option on that seat if the option included A, B, C, and D, and like... But it's about 80 questions. Some of which, like, I was looking at them with, like, getting out a pen and paper trying to calculate what they were asking. So the NFL have put an awful, awful lot of thought into this. But the one thing that I'm not sure they've really considered is how they're actually going to crack that LA market that has eluded them in the past when they've tried to establish long term roots there. Because LA, despite everything, it is, and it is the second biggest market for sports in, in America. But for some reason, the NFL has just never really been able to capture the imagination there. So I'll be interested to see what the strategy of the two teams and of the league going forward is to actually try and make that sustainable. And we're not in a situation where 20 years later, the Rams want to move again because for the third time in their history, nobody is going to their games. <laughs> time to become the, the New Mexico Rams. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Maybe moving team to Mexico City makes way more sense than oh, moving yeah. on to London. But um, oh yeah, like I, I suppose that the one plus I suppose for the Chargers fans, I know it's going to be a sad time for all you Chargers fans out there, aside from the fact that you're Chargers fans. Uh, like at least they're only going to be two and a half hours or so away from you. It's actually not a massive distance, uh, realistically. Look, look on the bright side. It's two and a half hours for you. It's fu- fucking like twelve hours on a plane for us to try and go and see a game. So uh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, sad times. Goodbye, San Diego Superchargers. Hello, Los Angeles Superchargers. And now we're going to move on to some of the games from last week. So we're going to have a look at three games. Uh, so we've got the first one up, I suppose we'll kick off with uh, the good ones this week. Carolina at the uh, New York Giants, 38-35 Barnstormer. Very good. Very exciting game. Big turnaround in the back half. Obviously, we'll probably discuss it a bit more depth, but like mired in controversy when we look at the Norman Odell Beckham Jr. stuff, who... Uh, from what I've gathered today, it looks like Odell Beckham's going to be getting a one-game suspension off the back of this. I personally think that's ridiculous and it should be significantly more. The guy's a fucking moron. I don't know why that wasn't called earlier by the refs. I don't know why Tom Coughlin didn't decide to take him off for a while and send him down and tell him to cop the fuck on. There's a lot of stupid stuff in there. A one-game suspension is not enough and if he wasn't on the cover of fucking Madden, that wouldn't be the case whatsoever. Anyway, on to the side more positives. Uh, Panthers were coasting and then they got caught on. Caught up with them... Uh, just in the second half, they looked like they were in complete control in the first half. So I'll throw it over to you to start on this one, Ronan. Like, they were coasting and then they got caught on. What what caused that? What was the big swap around from the first half to the second half? 
Well, it's, it's hard to tell. Like, the Carolina Panthers themselves have kind of admitted that they took like they took their foot off the gas. And, like, Ron Rivera was basically, like, very negative about this game. Like, the feel out of the locker room afterwards was basically, like, this was almost, like, this feels is almost like it was a lost game. Obviously, with the OBG, like, the Odell Beckham stuff, that obviously contributes to that. It's kind of tough with the Giants because they are one of the better teams to come from behind. Like, if Eli Manning could play from the shotgun every snap, he would play from the shotgun every snap. <laughs> and he would pass it to Odell Beckham. Uh, and, like, basically there was some... And, like, you saw some really bad plays. Like, they touched down to Ruben Randall. He was left uncovered, basically. Basically miles away from the nearest uh, cornerback. It was, like, some really bad play. And there was some really spectacular plays as well. For example, Odell Beckham's uh, tying touchdown was very good. But, basically, it's just a team that... Maybe maybe they've played Atlanta, like, one time too many. <laughs> and they got used to their dabbing. Like, it's like, maybe they were, like, like really thinking over their dabbing photo in yeah, the fourth quarter. Having their selfie and then this, oh, oh, no, the game's back on. But this was a real wake-up call. I think, like, the Giants, they're, all, like, they're a team which continuously manages to lose uh, when they manage to get back into games, like, near the end. But they're a dangerous team and they can hurt you if you let them get explosive plays. And that's what they let them do. And they should have they should have been better. And it's kind of worrying. It, it's so, it, yeah, it's definitely something that they'll need to keep an eye on. But maybe this is it's better to have it happen now than in the playoffs. Yeah, no, of course. Especially with a team like Carolina that's kind of known for having a very good defense, very good tackling. So they had no sacks in this game whatsoever. And I think only two tackles for a loss in the whole thing. Like their defense weren't firing at all. And maybe that was what allowed the Giants to get back into it. Like, what what did you see in that second half that was different, Harry? Yeah, I think the Giants cut loose a bit and, like, run. So I think you see the Panthers sort of psychologically slip into a little bit of a comfort zone. Um, the problem is something we touched on earlier when we were discussing um, the playoff teams. Uh, the Panthers' difficulty in establishing the establishing the run game was a, a problem without Jonathan Stewart. Like, neither Cameron Artis Payne nor Fozzie Whitaker was able to have a particularly big impact on the game, which meant that when they needed to calm it down, when they were sort of out of sorts and when the Giants were really picking up the pace they didn't have the capacity to calm it down they were relying on Cam Newton to run around a load which is great and is grand and that works well it worked he had another very good game on the ground I think he rushed 100 yards in the end yeah. but you can't rely on that every time to control the clock and control the game and there were times where they were even sending him on sort of short draw type plays just to chew up yardage because they didn't trust the running backs which which was a problem they also missed Ben Wickery in the backfield I think that did create a problem when, particularly when Beckham started moving into the slot, he was able to actually uh, get a couple of big catches, which he wasn't getting earlier in the game. I do want to touch on something quickly beyond that just that you mentioned earlier in the, the Josh Norman and um, Odell Beckham stuff. I, I think yeah, you have to blame Cochran. Cochran after his well, I thought about taking him off, but you know he's very good at football, which is, is, <laughs> is, is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, particularly for a guy like Cochran who's actually known to be a relatively like disciplinarian guy. To give that amount of leeway to somebody is, is a little bit worrying. But also, when we first saw it, I remember we saw obviously in the first instance you saw Josh Norman basically body slam Odell Beckham and kick the whole thing off. I saw on replay the reason he did that was because Beckham was slapping him and shoving him in the yeah, helmet. Face, yeah. um, so Beckham basically, not to say like he started it, and then I suppose with his touchdown you can argue to an extent he had a chance to finish it. But particularly when he came back to make that hit, that was incredibly dangerous. Oh. Kind of fact, the problem with this is you can blame obviously the players for doing it. Uh, so him for uh, Beckham for starting it, Coughlin for not taking him off to calm down, uh, Norman for retaliating. But the ultimate blame comes to the referees, and this is absolutely shocking in this game, that the referees did not, from that first instance, n- not even doing it, throw a flag. The fact that after Beckham headbutted Norman and Norman responded by punching, t- throwing punches at him, like that one or both of them was not ejected from the game oh, yeah, is absolutely crazy. They had to get totally out of hand. I don't think either of them were flagged until deep into the second half. Yeah. Like that was just referees failing to take control of a game. And one of the things about the NFL is referees are often quite good at that. 
let players, you know, they'll have they'll have one, one or two scrums a game, they'll break it up, they'll throw the flags, the coaches will be like, right, we don't want any more penalties coming out of this, shut it down, everyone get their head in order. This didn't happen in this game, and you've got to blame both the coaching staff, but the referees for never giving an incentive to either the players or the coaches to stop acting out like this, calm down, and behave themselves. And I think a suspension for uh, Beckham is absolutely right. Should it be more than one game? Yes, probably. And to be honest, as much as I sympathise this position... The way Josh Norman reacted at times, he should also probably be looking at a suspension. Yeah, like I, I probably agree with that one as well. But yeah, like overall, it was a very exciting game to watch. Apart from the sloppiness and the, the this crap, basically that went on between two of them, uh, I did see actually a very a, a fun a fun stat to throw in to, to lighten up the end of this. Ted Ginn has now played thirty games with the Panthers, and in that time, he's caught fifteen touchdowns, which is a very good number, right? Prior to that, he played one hundred and four regular season games elsewhere and caught six. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to say anything about Alex Smith but, uh... <laughs> no, okay. but what about all the potential dropped touchdowns oh god that's the thing he's, he's still, he still makes drops and we still saw him again make drops in big situations but he's just his hands are still questionable but he's got a lot better at running routes and getting into position and just basically being in a position where yeah there's still a chance he'll drop the football but it's much less likely that he's going to do so because he's in a better position to receive the ball or get away from a defender and he got to credit the coaching staff in Carolina oh. for making the most of Ted Ginn and helping him unlock the potential that he's had for so long big time like he's always he's always had that speed in the outside where he can get separation he doesn't have the world's greatest hands but to I think to capitalise on that you need your underneath root runner to be taking those people off it so you can get your one-on-ones on the outside and obviously with, with Greg Olson's and and such you can uh, you can you can get that kind of stuff going and he's had a real real good uh, good career year this year now I must say uh, so we're going to look at the next game which is also another one that's going into the good section uh, Denver at Pittsburgh 27 to 34 again a team that goes up and then lets it slip in the back half of the game Denver didn't score in the second half of this game at all. Like it was really bizarre. Felt like very little at all in terms of like production on the run game, which is something that they've been saying is the plus to having Brock Osweiler being able to play under center and allow the run game to kick off a little bit more. Once the Steelers got going, they were a bit slow to start, but they they, they started to produce a lot more. So just a couple, couple of the stats it's like Antonio Brown, sixteen catches, one hundred and eighty nine yards, and two touchdowns. Manuel Sanders, ten catches, one hundred and eighty one yards, and a touchdown. Like. It's ridiculous now. I'll come to Harry on this one first. Like, is this showing us the limitation of Osweiler as someone who can lead what is a very stacked roster? Absolutely. And I think this is this is the third week in a row now because against San Diego they didn't put up any points in the second half. Yeah. I don't think they did against Oakland, or if they did, they only got a field goal, and they didn't put any points in the second half this time. So that's a bit worrying, isn't it? When you yeah. talk to this game, like this is a continual thing that's happening. We normally say like you know defenses need a bit of time to adjust to new quarterbacks. They don't have tape on. It seems to be roughly about twenty minutes yeah. for this guy. That's exactly it. Like and they came out in the first half, and it looked like the problems we'd seen with them recently with their connection, his ability to exploit uh, the talents of Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders looked like they disappeared. Also, I looked comfortable. He looked confident against yeah, okay, a fairly weak Pittsburgh secondary. But then, just in the second half, like it didn't seem like Pittsburgh changed that much. Yeah, they were getting a little bit more pressure up front. They were making Osweiler feel a little more uncomfortable in the pocket. But you just got to wonder if the, the limitations that he has are there. And we saw him again making bad decisions. We saw him throwing interceptions in situations where it was extremely avoidable. And throwing balls you know, slightly behind or slightly ahead of where they should be delivered. So this sort of puts, now this puts Denver into that difficult position of what happens if Peyton Manning is able to start moving again and start playing again properly. What do you do? Do you, you say, say moving again like he could move earlier on in this season? No, I mean literally <laughs> moving as in like can he, you know, 
stutter from point A to point B, like drop back two paces and then throw the football in a fifteen second period. Well, well I do think there was but, a thing is that he's only he's only a game away from the the record of the most winningest that stupid Americans yeah. the most winningest quarterback of all time. They're gonna have to start him in a game, even just start him for five minutes and then put Brock Osweiler in or something. You you know he'd force himself to come back because he's mad for those it's one of those like guys who like to collect trophies on Xboxes and stuff like <laughs> That's it, yeah, have all the high score on all the arcade machines. Yeah. But yeah, no, it is it is yeah, just right C O X. No, but it is concerning for Denver in particular, like said so the, the run game didn't look great, didn't get going, didn't really help Osweiler that much. So yeah, he was able to ball out for a period of time, but Pittsburgh sort of were able to adjust despite not having the most talented defence in the league. And that's quite concerning what happens when this team runs into well, next week against the Bengals, who have a very good defence. What's gonna happen? And you have to wonder, like, if all this time and all this effort they've sat on Osweiler and invested in him and brought him up and brought him along and given him all the help in the world and let him study under Manning if it's if it could all just be for naught and he might just be like fine but not that good yeah on the other side of the ball we talked a lot about Denver this one, like, Pittsburgh's offense looked incredible again like we said earlier in our discussions about the the, the playoffs so, like their defense is clearly quite poor but their offense is like just pick your poison like there's so many options on there uh, the, the running game's not again not as effective as it had been what do you think is going to happen like is this a team that's built in a way that can win late on in the season into the postseason and stuff or is is this just going to be like an offense that can't get anything further because of its limitations on defense. No, I think like when we see them do this against Denver, we see them do this against Seattle. Obviously, they lost that game, but they put up a lot of points. We're seeing them do this against elite defense. This isn't just happening against like bad defenses. This is them continuously, similar to the Cardinals, actually, like week after week, being able to put up points, being able to take advantage of the fact that they have three wide receivers, which could easily be like number ones on other teams. Three like physically freakish wide receivers who can win in one-on-one coverage and who can get down the field and, and basically do really good things. And I think you undersell like D'Angelo Williams. He's had an amazing like comeback season. Like the Dem like you can't underestimate how good that Denver run defense is. And like if like I think this this offense can take them anywhere. Like historically I think like these kind of offenses can come unstuck against elite defenses. But we like the way the Steelers have done it continuously this season well at least with Ben Roethlisberger under under centre which is obviously a question mark in of itself like yeah I think this I think this offence can carry them all the way potentially but there's going to be a lot of exciting games on the way uh, for that to happen Uh, even you know to get into the playoffs first of all and further on from there but it's going to be good to watch oh yeah it'll be good fun uh, but yeah like I said good win for Pittsburgh there and Denver fall again and start to look to be coming in a little bit injured to the back half of the season so we're going to move on to the dumpster fireside chats now to have a look at one game, and I think we can all probably guess what game that is. Houston at Colts, sixteen to ten. The entirety of my notes for this game are: "Kill me now." One of these are a playoff bound team. Explain. Whedon happened. Whitehurst briefly happened. Blue had no kick game. Explain this game to me. How is this football, and why was it televised? It's televised because the NFL can charge them back. The NFL could literally televise Roger Goodell taking a shit and ESPN would throw them $100 million. Like, that's why it's televised. That's what this game may as well have been. Um, I don't know what there is to explain. Both these teams are bad at football. Uh, Brandon Whedon is going to the playoffs because there is no God. Houston won in Indianapolis for the first time. That was nice. Everything else about this game was not nice. I, yeah, I, I got nothing. Like... It was, it was horrific. It was horrific. 
I really struggle as well because like, the thing is even though like the one positive I have is Blue had an okay game like he had 20 carries for 100 yards one of them was like a 48 yard carry so the rest of it was garbage like so yeah like this Houston defense has a lot of really good players so can do it on their day but yeah like neither of these teams really have much like basically the Houston defense is the only good unit like the basic defense, defensive line for the Houston Texans is the only good thing in either of these teams right now Pat, Pat McAfee? Pat McAfee Pat McAfee, of course. Well, no, like, we saw that when, you know, 40-year-old Matt Hasselbeck was chased to the sideline by Jadavian Clowney in what can only be described as a, a, you know, very interesting balance of forces. Uh, Like a a gazelle being chased down by, like, like a leopard or a tiger, but the gazelle has no legs. Like, that's basically what I was. I think it's slightly more like, you know, like, kind of a young lion takes over the pride by defeating the elder lion. And then, obviously, there's that uh, Matt Hasselbeck on his back later on going, why am I still playing football? <laughs> Clutching his chest. And everyone, everyone, I think at the time, everyone's saying, oh, he might have a concussion. I'm just like, no, that, that's just a defeated man. <laughs> broken, broken heart. Oh, my. But yeah, so the, the unfortunate thing about this game is one of these teams is going to the postseason. Well, that's a really fortunate thing if you're another team in the postseason. It's a fortunate team for the number five seeds. Woot, woot. Yeah. Let's go, Chiefs. Uh, but yeah, this was, a, this was a horrible game. And it... it if you ever wanted an argument for why the current seeding system and stuff doesn't necessarily produce the best outcomes, this game was it. This game versus even the other crappy games, like the Jets-Dallas game or anything like that. Like You'd watch this Houston and Colts game, you'd be like, any of these other teams would probably be better. Literally any of them. Uh, although it is fun to see uh, old Brandon Wheaton getting one last rollout. Yeah, this is like, the quarterback situation in Houston has just been desperate. I couldn't believe it was Whedon when it came out. Like, mm-hmm. One of you guys when you were watching it was like, I think it's Brandon Whedon. It was like, no, it can't be Brandon. It can't be Brandon. There he was. Yeah, Brandon Whedon. Like Brandon Whedon is going to lead a team to the playoffs. I can't. I can't mm. process this. And the other thing as well, which you have to bear in mind, is with the given injury, they have to pick up someone else. There's a strong chance that we might have Jason Campbell backing up Brandon Whedon by the end of this week. Perhaps yeah, should pick up Cleveland. We'll just yeah, it's, 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 it's a carousel of old Cleveland quarterbacks. Oh they All they need is Trent Richardson now, and they can have essentially have an entire like first round draft class. Maybe try Browns. and pick up that free safety on the Washington practice squad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this was this was awful, just awful football. And if you're looking at highlight reels, try and find one for this. It'll be about two seconds long, and it'll be them blowing the final whistle, interspersed with monster truck smashes. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. We're going to move on to some of the questions from the listeners. So we got a question in from Richard this week, uh, and he's looking to know who we think the most improved team is with a losing record. So essentially, a team that's not doing so great this season, but is looking like they're getting the building blocks together for uh, themselves in the future. So I suppose uh, we'll we'll go around. We'll each take probably a team each and just have a quick chat about why we think they're doing the business. So we'll kick off with you, Harry. Yeah, I think the pick my pick for this one is very straightforward. Uh, the Oakland Raiders, I think, despite the uh, the frailties we've seen, despite the problems we've seen, I think are building an incredibly talented roster and have been working towards this very quietly over the last few years. And I think it's all starting to click a little bit more visibly this year. Amari Cooper is a phenomenal talent. Michael Crabtree is having an absolute career resurgence. Derek Carr is a guy who, if he can keep his head together and you know they can keep surrounding with weapons and getting better protection, like the sky is the limit for that guy potentially. He needs to quit his local like emo band. Yeah. 
we, we get it. He has weird eyelashes, Connor. I don't know why you're staring so deeply into quarterbacks' eyes all the time. It's, it's a little disconcerting. On the defense, they've added some nice pieces. Yeah, there's still problems in the backfield, and um, obviously Woodson isn't going to last forever. But like guys like Killian Mack has been fantastic. Alden Smith, though, obviously facing suspension now, was solid enough and added a little something to them. Malcolm Smith was a fantastic pickup. who's flown the radar a bit. Super Bowl MVP has had a very good year and has been very active uh, in leading that linebacking core. So you can see what they're doing. You can see what they're building. I think... The results we've seen with them, not only winning games we didn't think they were going to win, particularly at the start of the season before we realised they were actually sometimes quite a good team, but also running teams a lot closer than we'd expected. Uh, case in point, even this week against Green Bay, that was a game that, you know, last year you would have expected that to be an absolute stomping, and even with Green Bay's problems against last year's Oakland Raiders, you would have expected that oh, to yeah. be handy. But what we got from Oakland is we can see again the potential, we can see again the toughness, and yes, there are still things need to put in place. The offensive line in particular does need to improve. But the thing is, they're building out the, the pieces, and it's like, right, we fixed this bit, this bit's getting better, so now we look at the O-line, we look at the defensive backfield, and if they were able to get the guys in there, this is a team that could, maybe next season, maybe the season after, absolutely be challenging to win their division. Yeah, no, of course. Like I suppose I, the one I'm going to look at would be Jacksonville, just because uh, I know if they're imperfect, I'd literally pick a team who lost to the Falcons this week. <laughs> but uh, they're a team that have been perennially terrible and have now started to show signs of life. Bizarrely on the opposite side of the ball than you would expect, given the coaching staff and everything. But if you look at what they've got as a core to build around now, they've got a reasonably good quarterback in Blake Bortles who I think has potential but still is making errors in judgment but like he has all the physical tools needed to be a quarterback he just needs to cop on I did see that this week he did uh, he did go back to his mistake from beforehand and started trying to throw passes beyond the line of scrimmage again so like they just really need to reinforce that one rule with him that he doesn't seem to understand exists but they've got you know they got uh, Alan Robinson Alan Hearns Denard Robinson they've got uh, TJ um, Yeldon as a back again not a, not a world beating back but a good reliable like constant four yards kind of guy lots of touches they've got an offensive line that's looking a lot better than it did beforehand the, the thing to bear in mind as well is like they've, they've managed to have this kind of turnaround they haven't even got their first round pick from last year playing because he got injured beforehand so essentially moving Moving into next year, you're going to have two first-round picks starting up on your team. Uh, so I think it's Fowler. Is he, he's, a, he's a pass rusher, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, so like that will help them significantly on the on their defense. They've got cap space. They've got a young team. They've got an ownership which has came out and said, look. We understand it's a rebuild. We basically understand how shit this team is and how long you'll need to fix it. So they said, look, they're backing the coaching staff for another three years anyway to try and get it together. So they've got stability. They've got young players. They're getting lots and lots of new talent in. They got their first 50-burger. Hooray! Um, <laughs> so like, I, I, I think they're one that are really very much on the up now at this point. I think the most improved team was Tampa Bay. They were the worst team last year, and now they're not the worst team. <laughs> but no, there's actually a lot more going on in Tampa Bay. They have like uh, you know, the triplets. It's like of like Jamius Winston, like Doug Martin, and Mike Evans. You have like three explosive young playmakers on that offense. And in Jamius Winston, as I mentioned a few weeks ago uh, when discussing him versus Mariota, I think he is the quarterback. Of the future, like I think he's a quarterback who will do like really good things in the NFL, and I think if you have a like an elite quarterback, like Jameis Winston is the one who has the most upside. He has the highest ceiling, in my opinion. It's an exciting team to see where they go, and uh, like they could probably do with like tuning up on defense a, a fair bit. Now that they have the offense sorted out, and, uh, they should be able to invest in that defense and give Jameis the platform on which to like build 
what could be in a, like a really interesting couple of seasons. So I think that's why Tampa Bay might be the most improved thing. I must, I must say, actually, to be honest, it, it, is, it is always a good sign for the NFL when you look at this and you can see three teams that are like, okay, so Oakland were significantly better this year. Like Jacksonville and Tampa Bay weren't great, but you could see all this development. It is, it is the benefit of the draft system and the free agent system and the, the hard capital. So you can see teams who are terrible turn it around much quicker than you do in almost any other sport. So like, except the Browns. Apparently, yeah. Except the Browns. <laughs> uh, there was that year last season Asterisk. where it looked like it looked like last season. It looked like it was, and then it just it just didn't. That's to say, you know, you can give a t- give a man a gun and he may, might be able to hunt and provide for his family. You give it to the Browns because they shoot themselves in the foot until they don't have legs left. <laughs> so on that cheerful note, we're going to move on to the picks for next week. So, uh, we've got four games that we disagree on. Uh, I suppose it is coming to the back end of the season. We kind of probably probably getting a little bit more close to who are good teams and who are bad teams. It takes us a long time because we're not very good at it. So, we've got the Los Angeles Light, sorry, the San Diego Superchargers uh, <laughs> taking on the Oakland Raiders. Uh, we've all taken Oakland. Why is that, Harry? San Diego are a hot mess. Yes, they beat Miami, but Miami are awful. They've just come out of that emotional final home game. Oakland are still a team with a point to prove. San Diego are a team with absolutely nothing to prove or play for. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Dallas and Buffalo. We've all taken Buffalo. Why is that, Fitz? Matt Castle. Oh, no, it's I not Kevin Matt Moore. Castle. What? Colin Moore is starting for the, really? <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. That's why I was taking issue with him saying, oh, they're going up against a leaderless Dallas Cowboys. He was like, Kellen Moore. <laughs> Morning, 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 in, in editing, Kellen Moore. <laughs> yeah, we'll just they will not take that as an editing. No, no, no. no we won't. We've <laughs> uh, got Pittsburgh at Baltimore. Uh, we've all taken Pittsburgh in this game. Yeah, Pittsburgh, as we said, great team. Going to go to the postseason. Baltimore, terrible team. Uh, currently don't even know who most of their starters are. We've got Cleveland at KC. We've all taken KC. Why is that, Harry? Yeah, Kansas City are looking great. They are in a really tight fight for the playoffs. They're going to want to win this. Cleveland are just playing to exist. Carolina at Atlanta. We've all taken Carolina. Why is that? What, you say Carolina but in the Jacks? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Carolina undefeated. Atlanta very much defeated. <laughs> I could analyse more, but yeah. Yeah, if, if you're listening to this you should know <laughs> we got uh, San Francisco at Detroit we've all taken Detroit basically San Francisco are terrible Detroit are also terrible but slightly less terrible and they're at home terrible game don't watch it Houston at Tennessee we've all taken Houston in this game in what we've dubbed the depressingly relevant bowl why have we all taken Houston because we really love Brandon Whedon in a battle between Brandon Whedon and Zach Mettenberger the winner will be the one who does not have to go up against J.J. Watt and Jadavian Clowney. That is a fair analysis. Uh, Indianapolis at Miami. We've all taken Indianapolis in what we've called definitely the saddest of all the bowls. Why have we all taken Indianapolis? Because Miami are like really, 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 really exceptionally bad. And the Colts might have Andrew Luck back. Yeah, it's true. They might Hopefully. Do. Ah, but even even then, it's just like uh, you don't want to see like you don't want someone to, like just kick someone who's passed out in the ground. That's not a fight. And that's <laughs> what that would be like. Oh, you know what will happen? Um, His luck will come back, and Damakonsu will injure him, and then we will get the saddest ball we all deserve. Oh god, it'll be hilarious. New England at uh, the Jets. We've all taken New England. Basically, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't have a disagreement on this one, given the relevance of the game to the Jets. But I think New England are just top to bottom a better team than 
England at the moment. Uh, Fitzpatrick is playing great, but he's not playing well enough to win this game. Uh, and New England want to make sure they lock down that home field throughout the playoffs. So, New England. St. Louis at Seattle. We've taken Seattle. Why is that, Ronan? Because Seattle are good at football and St. Louis are... St. Louis. <laughs> but no, like, yeah, the Seahawks are on a roll. Russell Wilson's on fire. And St. Louis are kind of bad. Except for Todd Gurley. Fair enough. Uh, we've got New York Giants traveling to Minnesota. And we've all taken Minnesota. Why? This one actually could be quite close. I'm not 100% on this pick, to be honest, because you never know with the Vikings. But I think from what we've seen throughout the season, Minnesota are the better team. In general, in terms of what they're able to to do consistently week to week between two inconsistent teams, admittedly, the Giants are going to be in a really weird headspace after that game they just had against Carolina. So God knows what what mentality they're going to turn up with. So yeah, Minnesota will probably win, but look for it to be close. Oh, and in a last-minute remix, Fitz has changed his decision on the last game. So we've now actually got five games that we disagree on. So we're going to start working our way through those. Uh, again, we're going to keep it relatively tight. We've discussed most of the relevant teams <laughs> throughout this podcast. We're going to try and brush over some of the less relevant games. Looking at you, Chicago at Tampa Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so the first game that we've got a disagreement on, of course it's going to be this one. Of course you have to talk about this fucking division again. Uh, Washington Pale Faces taking on the Philadelphia Eagles. I've taken the Pale Faces. Fitz taken the Eagles. And Harry's taken the Pale Faces. So... So it's Harry, why the pale faces? I, I, it's what I say every week uh, whenever Washington are playing a bad team. Philly are still a bad team. We saw that game against New England. At the time, we were like, well, this looks like it might be a fluke or it might be turning a corner. We've seen them play since. It was a fluke. Philly are a mess on so many levels, particularly defensively. Washington, yep, huge amount of problems, but what we've seen is that they can produce not just grinding tough games, but we've also seen increasing this season, once or twice, explosive games against poor defences. So I think what you're going to look at is look for Deshaun Jackson to absolutely go off in this game, look for Philadelphia to struggle to cover them, look for Philadelphia to, again, struggle to get their running game going, because, again, it looks like they've worked it out, and then they haven't worked it out. And, uh, Philly uh, seem to be a team this year that all seems to buckle under their own fans a little when they're playing poorly at home, and I can see in a game like this that turning against them. So, yeah, I think Washington and Oregon lock us down. Now, being the NFC East, who knows? Parody is life, after all. The <laughs> One thing to know is that Washington's away record has been really bad this season. Uh, while their home record's actually been like surprisingly very good. And the one thing that we've seen from Washington is that every time that they look like they're about to like move in front, like, they've been the team which have had the most opportunities to kind of move ahead and like have like basically seize that division. They have failed to seize that initiative. And I think like this is a Philly team which obviously like kind of fell quite hard to the Cardinals this week, but has shown more fight over the last month or so. So I think in a tough game at home they might just have like they should have enough just to take on a Washington team, which I, I just don't trust. Although I think I, I don't disagree that Deshaun Jackson could have a very big game at the same time. Oh yeah. Like my my take on this is obviously I hate picking the, the, the pale faces, but like Kirk Cousins gonna get paid. Like he's gonna get paid hard. He's been playing great the last couple of weeks. Like the last game was against Buffalo and legitimately like Buffalo are a far better defence, even though they're playing poorly than Philadelphia are. And he had four passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown, their run game went all over them. And I know what you're saying about the away games fits, but like the last two or three away games they've had, they've managed to pull wins out of them. Like in the same way I was saying a couple weeks ago, like they have yet to win back to back games this season. That's now been changed. I think Philadelphia could beat them 
if Chip Kelly wasn't a stubborn prick and would actually do what was best placed for his team to do. But I don't see that happening. He's still in his trust in the system scenario. I see this Washington team as having a bit more explosive ability and being able to tear apart that Philadelphia secondary. So that's why I'm going to take the uh, the Washington racists in this game. Um, the next game that we've got a bit of disagreement on is uh, Chi-Town Massive, the Bears taken on Tampa Bay I've taken the Bears and you guys have taken Tampa Bay I'll kick off with Harry on this one the only person who cares about this game less than I do is Jay Cutler and that's why Tampa Bay are going to win okay fair enough I will say uh, yeah seems about right but I think they're going to win anyway (laughs) yeah like I think Tampa Bay like they're a team that's young and and has a point their objective right now is probably trying to get 8 and 8 they'd be happy with that nah <laughs> I like it though. Tampa Bay's objective is to be happy. Chicago's objective is to be miserable. And therefore, seems that Tampa Bay should win. Chicago should lose. Jacksonville at New Orleans. I've taken New Orleans. Jeez, I'm on my own again a bit in this one. New Orleans and uh, you two guys have taken Jacksonville uh, again. Not particularly relevant game. Go Fitz first on this one. Why Jacks? Because I think they will throw more long touchdowns than New Orleans, though there will be many long, long touchdowns. Oh yeah, similar high-scoring game. But as I said before, Jacksonville have only had one, uh, one, one fifty-scoring game. Uh, New Orleans have had more. It's going to be an example of terrible, terrible defense and incredibly high-scoring football with no skill involved whatsoever. Yeah, I pretty much agree. Except I flipped a coin before I came in here and it came up Jacksonville. So yay. This is this is kind of analysis you cannot pay for. This is just... <laughs> no, if you are willing to pay for it. <laughs> Talk to us. You're very gullible. Green Bay and Arizona. I've taken Arizona. Fitz has taken Green Bay. And Harry has taken Arizona. We'll kick off with Harry on this, although I am interested to know why Fitz. Green Bay are going to win this game and then lose the following game against them in your own predictions from earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, Green Bay are in a, a, a weird place at the moment. They're playing definitely within themselves and not to the level uh, that they should be. They're still struggling without having a guy who can do what Jordy Nelson's does, as they have done all season. That's going to be exacerbated against an Arizona team that, while it may not have Turn Matthew, uh, still has an awful lot of extremely talented and extremely physical defensive backs who are going to give uh, a nightmare to every single Green Bay receiver, except James Jones, who's possibly the only guy who's big enough to physically compete with them. What you're also looking at is a Green Bay defense that has been wobbly in and of itself over the last few weeks. We're going to have that problem that Green Bay have had, whereby Aaron Rodgers' guys can't get open, he's having to run around, that cuts down the field, that causes the problems. I just think Arizona are in the perfect position to do that, to play that kind of strong press man that Green Bay struggle against, whereas Arizona's weapons are going to have much more time and much more space against a, should we say, not slow, but slightly out of sorts and slightly slower Green Bay defense. So I think that's just basically going to come down to being the critical factor. Like it's a talk, like I think it's just, it's kind of like, I have the same kind of feeling that when Green Bay played Minnesota a few weeks ago, when we all were kind of like, oh, Minnesota will, will show them. And then Green Bay kind of came in and they showed a really impressive defensive performance. And the thing is, like I don't think like Arizona technically has something to play for, but probably don't we're going to see Arizona kind of sheed the sword a little bit and that Green Bay like I don't have that, that basically that last game against Minnesota isn't relevant they'll be desperate to ensure that so I think like Green Bay has a bit more invested in this game and so I think that's why we're likely to see them just have that a little bit more uh, but I think it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a close game I think there is something to play for this uh, particularly if like 
if, if Green Bay are to win and Arizona are to lose, that puts Green Bay just one game behind them and having a head-to-head record against them, which might be able to push them over. I mostly just agree with what Harry was saying, that I think roster-wise, I really like all the layers of this Arizona team. Their defensive front, their back end is quite good as well. Like, their offense has so many weapons. And yes, Green Bay's defense can step up in a game and do a decent job, but I don't think they've got enough talent throughout that defense to cover the amount of weapons that are there, especially with a resurging uh running back core uh, c- c- coming in for, uh, for for Arizona as well. I think this is a statement game for Arizona going into the postseason. They don't want to have a bye week, be sat around doing very little, and then have people saying, well, when they were coming into this, they're losing to the teams that they're going to be facing in here. They don't want that mindset. They want to go in there as, as victors, as already putting down a marker, and I think that's exactly what they're going to do in this game. They're going to drive through them, and they're going to shut the hell out of the... Uh, the Green Bay receivers. Apart from James Jones, who's going to shut himself out by bringing about 16 offensive pass interference penalties upon himself again. I'm still waiting for him to catch a ball with his hood. I really yeah, it would that. be phenomenal. I love the hoodie look. I actually love the hoodie it look. It's class. Class. <laughs> but I just want to see a ball drop into that and waltz in without <laughs> the end zone. So we've got one more game left to look at. We've got Cincinnati taking on the Denver Broncos. Uh, I've taken Cincinnati, Fitz has taken Denver, and Harry's taken Cincinnati. Uh, Harry, Cincinnati? Because I believe in A.J. McCarron and the power of his terrible chest tattoo. He will tear open his jersey, Brock Osweiler will gaze upon the misshapen Jesus glory and die. Oh God, his horrible <laughs> tattoo. You showed us that on the weekend. It's horrible. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the worst. Like, If you haven't seen it, look it up. Look up his chest tattoo. It is disgusting. It makes Jesus cry. It, it, is, the most, it is the most Roll Tide thing that ever Roll Tide. We've seen Denver's limitations for the last few weeks now with Brock Osweiler under centre. We are aware of Cincinnati's limitations, obviously, with McCarron under centre. Denver were able to get away with it for a long period against the Steelers because the Steelers' defence is quite poor. Cincinnati's defence is quite good. Osweiler isn't going to have that first half where he's got a lot of time. They're not going to have defensive backs struggling to keep up with receivers so much. So they're going to struggle to race away. While Denver's defense is still very good, Cincinnati have had a couple of weeks to figure out now sort of where they're at with McCarron, where they're at with the run game. We actually, interestingly, saw them against San Francisco, whose defense is pretty poor but has been tough at times this season. Start out with Gio Bernard, be like, okay, this isn't working. I'll switch to Jeremy Hill. So again, adapting the game plan around what is and isn't working is one of those really basic sounding things in the NFL, but it seems a lot of teams are actually quite poor at doing. Looking at you, Chip Kelly. Yeah, well, yeah, pretty much. Rex Ryan being the other other very obvious Mm -hmm. example. But that's something I think we've seen Cincinnati are going to be able to do. And I think given the talent in the receiving core, they still do have that potential to gash Denver over the top, which should, I think, make the difference. I think it's going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be close. If Dalton does somehow come back, I don't think it's necessarily going to be a close game. I think Cincinnati will win relatively comfortably. But given that Cincinnati's defense, I think, is going to be good enough to shut down Osweiler, uh, their own offensive talent should shine through, as you see in this season, when they've been in tough defensive games to edge it for them. Fitz, defend the crustacean sensation. I think I took the opposite kind of lessons from the Cincinnati-San uh, Francisco game. They didn't look very good in offense. They looked like an offense that didn't really know what they're doing and against a very terrible San Francisco like defense they managed eventually to break that down but it was painful watching them do that like they were running like multiple plays within like the five yard line just to get that like those touchdowns and then once the dam broke they managed to get through against a tough Denver defense they're not going to have those easy chances they're not going to have those easy opportunities and I can see the Denver uh, defense shutting down AJ McCarron or a banged up 
Andy Dalton. I think it's basically it comes down to that defense, and I think like the Denver Broncos are in win now mode. This is literally like if they lose this game, as we discussed earlier, their season is in major jeopardy. So I think we will see the Broncos defense show enough to basically keep the Cincinnati offense under wraps, and that the Brock will have his kind of solid outings. Uh, as he, he hasn't been bad, he's just been solid. Gets enough points to lose by close margin. Yeah. Uh, should be enough to beat AJ McCarron by a close margin. See, like I think, like my my take on AJ McCarron is that I don't think he's played particularly terribly. I think he's been okay. I think what you're saying about Brock uh, is is much closer to what I think about AJ McCarron in that I think he's able to move the offense a bit. They've got a much better and functional running game in Cincinnati to support him in that role. Also, I think given that, like you know, we've only seen a little bit of AJ McCarron, there's less tape in him, it's less easy to prepare your defense for him. The limitations of him will, in scenarios so far, have been him making slight mistakes. Where with Brock, I think what we've seen is the limitations of his game as a quarterback in its entirety, in that he doesn't have the uh, the mental acuity to make adjustments whenever defenses adjust to him. Whereas I think Karen has enough that he'd be able to be able to keep going. I don't think it's going to be a fantastically high scoring game. I think it's going to be mostly defensive. I think it's going to come down to a lot of a lot of field goals and kicks and stuff as well. But I think Cincinnati are going to edge it. Uh, I think similar to similar to the Green Bay Arizona game. I think Cincinnati know they're going to have a bye. They want to put down a marker against one of the teams that are considered the best ones going into them. And if you're going to do that, your best time to do it is now whenever they are flailing like if you think how bad that Steelers secondary is but yet they scored zero points on them in the second half last time like that is how quickly an adjusting defence is stopping Brock Osweiler and I think they have taken him already to do that and the Bengals have a defensive roster that can easily make those adjustments to shut down that game so that's why I think they're going to edge it in a low scoring and relatively poorly quarterbacked game like I'm sure we'll talk about this more next week because the relevant games are most likely to be talked about (laughs) I think we've talked a lot about Brock Wadsweiler being conservative I think it's the conservative coaching really has to be talked about but we'll talk about that next week yeah we will because I think think what we'll probably end up doing and like I said uh, drop us a line at at AFQ podcast on Twitter or on on Facebook at uh, AFQ Podcast. I think what we'll probably start doing now, getting into that section, is we might start doing profiles on teams as well who are going to be in there and kind of doing a deep dive onto what they are, where their limitations are, where their strengths are, and how that'll affect games coming up and stuff. I you just said deep dive. Oh, no. We're going to drill down into the data. Literally, he works in stats and I work in like, economic modelling and stats. Like, Of course I'm going to drill down into the data, Harry. Leave, your, leave your work in the office. Leave your work in the office. Literally, this is my work. I spent three hours at work today reading stuff for the podcast because I'm doing nothing in work at the Don't moment. your coworkers listen to this? One of them does. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he never gets this far. We're not that entertaining. <laughs> like He gets as far as when his question gets asked and he's like, good, they answered my question and just turns it off again. But no, uh, should be good fun. So any plans for over the Christmas? We are going to have to figure out what our recording schedule is over the Christmas, guys, so we might be a day out or something. But we'll try and get it out at the same time for you anyway. Yeah, you're you heading said up. actually you don't have to edit it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> you're heading up, on, uh, you're up to Kevin tomorrow, are you? Yeah. Fair enough. And then, uh, well, you're in Dublin, so you're fine. Uh, I have to go to work and to go to Donegal on, uh, on Christmas Eve. So that'll be fun. Long way up, and then we get tanked in the pub. <laughs> so, so it's the same thing you do every weekend, just in a different location. Yeah, yeah. Fun, there could be very varying quality next week in the. <laughs> yeah, well, basically, yeah, because I'll be I'll be on Donegal Internet. He'll uh, Ronan will be on Cabin Internet, and then like, and then and then, uh, and then Harry will be like, I've still got normal internet. <laughs> I'll make up for it by being. Uh, 
as dysfunctionally hungover as your internet is dysfunctional. We uh, may end up having just read out an email chain. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be good fun. But yeah, guys, so like I said, thanks uh, for everyone who gets in contact. Uh, and like I said, drop us questions, comments, anything like that. Uh, and yeah, thanks for listening. Say goodbye, guys. Bye. Goodbye and happy holidays. Happy holidays, guys. Enjoy. Have fun. Yeah. Bye.